Wonderful. If you have your copy of Scripture, please find 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, the first letter of two that Paul wrote to his young protege and mentee, Timothy. And um, every once in a while, I explain the Bible's divided, every book is divided into headings. We call them chapters, and then within those chapters are the verses. This is the fourth heading, the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy, and we're going to read verse 12 in just a few minutes. This is a big weekend for our church. Our uh, students are in the, doing Disciple Now or D Now. There's a whole big room full of students and their volunteers, and, uh, many parents over in the student center now. Some of our young adults are away at um, at Young Adult Retreat, and so it's just us old folks here today. I'm glad that glad y'all joined me. Next week's going to be a big week, at least for me, I think. I, uh, next week, I'm going to begin a new series titled The Twelve Steps for Us All. Now, many of you will, of course, associate the 12 steps with, with Alcoholics Anonymous, and indeed, they were born in the recovery, in, in recovery programs. But, uh, but Bill W., who began Alcoholics Anonymous, was a devoted follower of Jesus, and he, he took what he had learned in a, a group called the Oxford Group, which was his like, Christian discipleship group, and he applied, adapted those, adopted and adapted those for uh, people in recovery. But it boils down to this, those 12 steps are good for us all. So when we come in next week... Uh, your admission to the room will be for you to put on this little sticker that reads, I've got issues. So the choir's going to have them on, and the orchestra, I don't know if y'all are playing, y'all have them on, I'll have mine on. And somebody said, already said to me, but, um, but don't they know I have issues? Yes, but do you know you have issues? So, so we're going to all wear our sticker, I've got issues, and we'll, we'll talk about the 12 steps for us. Uh, all And I, I'm teaching them, by the way, on Thursday nights in room 118 at uh, Bright Star. That's our fresh expression of church for people in recovery and those who love people who are in recovery. And uh, I'm teaching them on Thursdays, and then they're helping me learn and uh, kind of tweak. Uh, you know, they, they, some have been living the 12 steps for decades. So I'm really enriched by that and pray that it will be meaningful to you. Well, Let's get to this idea uh, of, well, this morning. So, uh, I want to begin by, one of my, by my absolute most um, embarrassing moment as a, as a football official. And I hope I'm not telling too many football official story, stories, but this was my most embarrassing moment. It was about 20 years ago, and I was pastor at Bonaire, and I was, we were living in Midlothian. That's where the church is, and that's where our kids went to school, and um, uh, so that's where our networks were. So I'd go and I'd do ball games, especially on Saturday, all day long, ball game, rec league, recreation league, little guys. And, you know, I always, there were people in the crowd I knew, parents and grandparents and otherwise, and I thought, you know, this, this could be the a source of conflict. You know, maybe I throw a little kid out of the game and his, his uh, dad's the chairman of the deacons or something. So I thought, you know, this, this could be a conflict. So I moved across the river uh, into Henrico County, beautiful part of Richmond. But I moved up there the next year because nobody over there knew me. And so I thought, you know, it's, it's just less possi possibilities, fewer possibilities for conflict. So I was over there one Saturday morning in this part of the town where nobody knew me. And there was a dad in my ear from the get-go. And you know, at recreational league games, often the only thing that separates the 
parents from the field is just a little rope, you know? So, so this guy, he's right, he's in my hip pocket. He's in my, he's just yakking, yakking, yakking. And so I got kind of frustrated and I, during a break in the action, I turned and I told him that I'd had enough. Well, I shouldn't have done that. I, I should have either ignored him or I should have gotten the game administrator to do something about him. But I still at that day, in those days, had a little redneck in me. And so I turned around and I said, uh, I've had enough, which only encouraged him. And so when we, you know, action started again, yak, yak, yak. And so um, he could tell he was getting under my skin and he could, and I heard him say, We'll take care of this at halftime. Mm-hmm. So remember, I had a little redneck in me, and so I, I wheeled around. Is that a threat? I demanded. Well, a couple of the parents jumped up, came around. Hey, you know, everything's okay. He means you no harm and all that. And halftime came. The officials were sitting over here, and a, a man walked up. As it turns out, was a, an off-duty police officer, not in uniform, the father of one of the players. And he assured us that he would take care of my animated critic. But then he, then he said, you know, you need to calm down too. And he was right. I had acted unprofessionally. I was ashamed. I felt terribly. The only redeeming factor was that nobody knew me. And the next day was Sunday, and Randy, who was our media director, walked up to me right before church started. He said, I heard you had a ball game yesterday. (laughs) And he had that smile like, I know something, I know something. He said, my friend was at the ball game and recognized you. He said, my friend wondered if, if officials were supposed to lose their poise. I was busted. I thought nobody was watching but somebody always is. People are watching, you know. They watch you in the drugstore and in the customer service line and in the factory and on the, uh, in the office. They're all at ball games. People are watching, you know. And so what kind of example are we? First Timothy 4.12, it begins with he's, he's speaking to a young man, so he says, don't let anybody despise you for your youth. And then he says, be an example for, of, or to. Now, that can be, that it can be translated any way, either for the believers or to the believers or of the believers in five ways, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity, be an example of the believers or to the believers. Let's take those one by one. First, speech. Now, when I say be an example in speech, your first thought might be of profanity, and that's good because the Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. So, profanity is not a good example of what it means to be a Christian, but my hunch is that there are more people that are, that are driven away by hate speech than by profanity. So not only so there's no place in the in the Christian vocabulary for vocabulary for vile and hateful and demeaning, disparaging speech. Not only must we refrain from that, we must distance ourselves from that. So when people, even in the name of being Christian, make fun of people who are gay or transgender, we need to 
distance ourselves from that. When people speak racist remarks, disparaging remarks because of the hue of people's skin and the accent of their tongues, we need to distance ourselves from that. When people, when Christians demonize those whose political views differ from their own, demonize them, we need to distance ourselves from that. It's true that profanity is not a good thing, but more people have been driven away from the Christian faith by hate speech, I believe, uh, than by profanity. Be an example in speech. Be an example in conduct, in the way you conduct your lives, like your family. I've always heard, if you want to know what kind of Christian he or she is, ask, don't ask the Sunday school teacher, ask the family. Because their family will watch, you know, right, does your walk match your talk? And people outside want to know how does he or she conduct himself, herself with the family? And speak in conduct like our family. And then like at work. Now, this may be paid work. It might be volunteer work. It might be a stay, you might be a stay-at-home mom or dad. You might be in school. Maybe that's your work for right now. But how do you conduct yourself at work? It's real easy. Work hard and don't cheat. Whether it's work or school, work hard and don't cheat. If you don't work hard, people are going to notice. They're watching. If, if you cheat, if you cheat on a test, if you cheat on a business deal, people are watching. In, in conduct, the way we conduct our lives, like families and, and, and work and, and in relationships, how do we conduct ourselves in relationships? In other words, are we kind? You don't have to be the life of the party, but are you kind? You know, we have a reputation, and maybe it's earned and maybe it's not, but Christians have the reputation of, of being kind of curmudgeons. You know, we're known more for what we're against than what we're for. Are we kind in our relationships? Be an example to others in, in speech and conduct and in love. There's a trite but true saying, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And the Bible says in Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere. Fake love says, I'll pretend to love you for my benefit. Real love says, I will love you simply because you are you. You are not a commodity. Fake love says, I'll love you if your lifestyle choices match my personal convictions. Sincere love says, you don't have to earn my love by making choices I agree with. Fake love says, I will love you if you will love me. Sincere love says, I'll love you anyway. The Pharisee asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, it's pretty easy. Love God. Love people. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I... Give all that I have to the poor and give my body to be burned, to be used up in service, but have not love, it counts for nothing. I'm going to quit letting other people preach. You know, sometimes I say to the ministers, if they get to preach, I want you to do a good job, but not too good a job. And they never listen. So I, then I have to listen to y'all all week. Oh, oh Tim Boone, he prayed, ain't he good? See, all week I had to listen to Tim, how good Tim Boone preached. And then, you know, it's Kristen or John or Alan, whomever. I always have to listen to what a good job. I'm not, I may not let them preach anymore. <laughs> Besides that, when other people preach, their words convict me. See, when I preach, I get to kind of go around those things I don't like, right? But when other people preach, their words, like Kareem last week. 
Kareem talked about, Kareem, he's the pastor at Graffiti, our partner church there in New York, New York City. And he talked about love. He talked about Matthew 25, you know, feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the prisoner. But he said, if you don't do it with love, he quoted 1 Corinthians 13, 3, then it doesn't count. And, and he talked about Vaughn. Remember Vaughn? He's the guy that he became part of the church family, was baptized and became a leader in the church. But they met him when he was experiencing homelessness and he was in the park and they gave him a sandwich. And later when he was in the church, he said, it was like they wanted me to have that sandwich. They, it wasn't just going through the motions. It was like they really wanted me to have it. So I heard Kareem preach, and then we had a luncheon, and he talked about love again. If you don't do it in love, it doesn't matter. And so, so then I'm, I'm going home, right? It's been a long morning. It's about 2 o'clock. I was headed toward the office area, went by entrance 1, looked out in the parking lot. One of our, our ladies, one of our sweet ladies was standing out there with a man who appeared from appearances, they're not always right, but appearances, he looked homeless. Doggone it. You know, I need to go home and she's out there. But I am the pastor and so I thought, you know, I, so I walked out there and, and he's, he's holding her cell phone. He's talking to his mom, lives in Washington. Hadn't talked to her in a long time. She got on the phone with this lady, a member of our church, and said, thank you for letting me talk to my son. And then this lady in our church said to me, he's, he's hungry. I'm trying to figure out how to get him something to eat. My gosh, I gotta, I'm tired. And Well, no, you go on. I'll, I'll take care of it, I said. And then I, I said, so I said to this man, I said, Mapco, and the, you know, the new convenience store and grocery uh, gas station. I said, I got a couple of things to wrap up. If you'll meet me at Mapco in 15 minutes, I'll get you something to eat. I'm thinking, I don't want to, I don't want to do, I was doing it out of obligation. I really didn't want to, honestly, I didn't really want to. And then between here and Mapco, Kareem got in my head. Kareem started preaching again. Yeah, well, if you don't do it with love, it, you know, it's as if you didn't do it. Kareem get out of my head, but he wouldn't. He, he talked to me all the way to Mapco. Feed the hungry and clothe the naked, and visit the prisoner, but if it's not in love, it doesn't matter. And so I, had, I checked my spirit and I got out and I, I started by asking his name, which is a good place to start. So now he's not some nameless guy, he has a name. I said, tell me your story. He told me a story and um, Story of addiction and bad choices and bad breaks. And we walked over to where there's all kind of food in there. And, and um, he, he chose a pizza. I said, what'd you get two? He got two pizzas and two soft drinks. Now, I didn't solve all his problems. And, and I'm not sure where he is this morning. But I hope he knows that I wanted him to have those pizzas. Because at first, I, I really didn't want to do that. Kareem. We do a lot of good things, but some of the things we do are out of obligation. God inspired Paul to write, be an example in speech and conduct and in, and in love and in faith. 
Faith there does not mean we shouldn't have doubts, doesn't mean we shouldn't ask questions. Faith is, it's a faithfulness, it's about hanging in there. It's faith, it's about um, being faithful when things are hard. Because real faith will not uh, succumb, will not surrender, will not give up, will not give in. Even when failures would discourage us and people would disparage us. When tragedies would demoralize us and doubts would derail us. Real faith won't surrender, won't succumb, won't give up, won't give in. People are looking for people of faith whose faith counts when when the chips are down, not when everything's going well. Be an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Now, purity could apply to a lot of things like pure motives, you know, instead of being selfish, pure business dealings, being ethical. But my goodness, sexuality is such a pervasive theme in our culture that we must be pure sexually, meaning we stay away from pornography, that we make sure that relationships in the, in the workplace are professional, that we, that we remember that, that physical intimacy is for the covenant of marriage and nothing else. If we would just get that right, who knows what we, how well we could live the rest of our lives. Be an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. You know, people aren't looking for Christians to be perfect. They're not. They know we're flawed. And everyday imperfections will not drive people away. But there are things that will drive people away like hypocrisy, like insincere love, like shallow faith that looks more like culture than faith. People are watching, you know, and, and if we're not careful, our bad example will drive them away. But it's also true that good examples can attract people, that good examples can make Jesus real. In our luncheon last week, Kareem Gibran uh, talked about Dorothy Day, lived in New York City in the 1900s, or uh, uh, 1990s. No, 1900s, it was 1900s. She, uh, she helped get rid of some of the sweatshops and the child labor and a Christian activist, but she wasn't always a, a Christian and she didn't grow up a Christian. But in her autobiography, she talks about going to see her friend Rachel to ask if Rachel could come out and play. She's a little girl, Dorothy Day. And she was very home at Rachel's house, was over there all the time, so she didn't knock. She just walked right in. And and when she walked in, Rachel's mom was on the floor, on her knees, praying. Dorothy Day talked about the impression that that made on her. It was, to quote her, my first impulse toward Catholicism. She grew to be a deeply devoted Roman Catholic Christian. Now, it didn't take immediately. She, she lived a pretty wild life as a young adult. But then that seed sown when she was a little girl by a woman offering a good example came back and came to fruition, and she became a deeply devoted Christ follower. You never know what they see in you and me, if they know we're followers of Jesus, will largely shape how they view, how they view God himself. 
Ed Culpepper told me uh, or reminded me once, and I shared this with you a couple of years ago, about an episode of the Andy Griffith show. Andy Griffith's little boy, Opie, came home one day and he said uh, he had met a man in the woods named Mr. McBeavy. And he said he wears a silver hat and lives in the trees and jingles when he walks. Well, that sounded like an imaginary friend, right? But Andy was really troubled by that because it seemed like Opie was not just Not only did he have an active imagination, a vivid imagination, it seemed like he was being downright dishonest because Andy would say things like, now, you know, there's no real McBeavy. Oh, yes, there. Yes, there is, Paul, he'd he'd say. Finally, you know, Andy was really torn and he he said to Opie, Opie, now, all you've got to say is Mr. McBeavy is not real. But Opie said, I can't say that, Paul, because he is real. Barney, Andy's friend and deputy, asked Andy, do you believe in Mr. McBeavy? No, I don't believe in Mr. McBeavy, Andy said. But I do believe in Opie. Andy was so excited a few days later to find a man in the woods wearing a silver hat, a, a, a safety hat, and he had tool, tool, big tool belt on. He jingled when he walked, and he, worked, he was a lineman, worked in the trees. He was like trimming the limbs away from the power lines. Mr. McBeavy was real. But isn't it interesting that Andy would not believe in someone he could not see, who seemed fanciful, who seemed like an imaginary figure, but he knew Opie. He knew, his, he knew his life. He knew his character. He, he had known him to be an honest little boy. So even before he met Mr. McBeavy, even when he didn't believe in Mr. McBeavy, he believed in Opie. People will look at those of us whom they can see, you and me. And what they see in us will determine largely what they believe about one whom they cannot see, the creator of the universe. People are watching, you know. So let's be an example in in speech, the way we talk, in conduct, the way we conduct ourselves in everyday life, in love, making sure that we not only do the right things, but we do them in love and And that our faith is not just a cultural thing, but it counts when the chips are down. And in purity, pure motives, pure practices. People are watching. People are watching, you know. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation for 235. 235 is our hymn, and we invite you to, to be part of our church family. We invite you to go public with your faith in Jesus. We will be honored and we will be thrilled if you will come. We sing just for you. Let's stand, please.